Welcome to the Women in Public Policy Program Seminar Series Podcast at the Harvard Kennedy School. So I'm going to get started. I'm excited uh, for our speaker today. Uh, my name is Hannah Riley Bowles. So uh, in my role here at WAP, I get to um, host this seminar. Uh, so at WAP, we are uh, we aspire to close gender gaps in the areas of economic opportunity, political participation, health, and education. And uh, the way that this seminar contributes uh, toward uh, that vision is by connecting our community with um, researchers who are on the cutting edge of studying uh, gender public policy and uh, women's leadership advancement. And today, um, we get to hear um, from another of our um, WAP fellows, very ex uh, exciting one of our uh, WAP fellows, um, Dr. Clementine von Effenter, um, who received her PhD uh, in economics from the Paris School of Economics. And we are we're just so excited for her to come with some, you're gonna see just, just, a, just, a, just a corner of the fascinating research that she, she has going on. More broadly, her research looks at gender norms and institutions and how that um, uh, influences uh, gender in economic participation, uh, political preferences, but also really um, not just gross participation, but also what you'll see here, uh, people's preferences that they make in terms of where they self-select in their career. In addition um, to being a fellow here at WAP, she is also a, an affiliate of the Institute of Labor and, um, uh, and at the Center for Economic Performance uh, at the London School of Economics. So please um, uh, join, actually before I ask you to join me, give a warm um, welcome of applause to Clementine. I'm supposed to do one more bit of housework, um, which is to say, um, we obviously are all gonna turn off our cell phones, and as we sit in the room, we have to realize that we're actually joined virtually by people who will download this presentation. So we've had something upwards of 28,000 um, downloads. So, for the people not only who are in the room, but the also the people are, are, who are um, listening in, we ask that we, um, you know, we really ask genuine questions of the presenter that relate to the presentation. <laughs> and then are you open to questions as you go through? Yeah, yeah. Okay, great. Um, so then uh, we'll proceed from there. Please join me in I'm giving a warm welcome. <laughs> Thank you very much, Anna. Um, hello, everyone. Thank you very much for being here today. Uh, so this is the first time that I present these results. I'm really excited because we have been working on this project for like two years and a half, and it took a lot of time in my PhD. So I'm like really excited to present that today and such a great audience. Um, so uh, this is a joint work with uh, Thomas Breda, Julien Grenet, and Marion Monet, who are all at the Paris School of Economics. Uh, and so I'm really happy to have your comments and feedback as we go. Please feel free to interrupt me if you have questions, uh, clarifications. Um, so the motivation behind this research is, uh, is quite straightforward. I think you might all know that globally there's this underrepresentation of women in most uh, technical degrees and especially math intensive technical degrees. Uh, there's been a lot of studies documenting the origins of this underrepresentation, uh, and this takes place in a context where in many advanced economies uh, there's debate around the shortage of steam workers. And typically in the U.S., economic projections estimate that there's approximately a need for over a million steam professionals on top of the current rate 
uh, if the country is to keep its preeminence in, in science and technological um, uh, research. So um, on top of that, uh, we know from the research in economics um, that a significant share of the gender gap in pay is explained by the gender uh, segregation among occupation and among college major studies. Uh, so um, so um, fr starting from this motivation, uh, we are going to ask like uh, a very you know, simple question, how can we design an intervention that could potentially participate in fixing this gender gap in science? And we're going to draw on uh, literature in social psychology <laughs> and in sociology. We're going to do what economists do, you know. We take good ideas from other social sciences and we just decide to implement them at a larger scale. Um, but before we got to this, um, I just wanted to recall you that these, these trends that I'm talking about have actually been incredibly stable over time. So this is the share of women uh, for bachelor degrees awarded in the US. These figures are come from the National Science Foundation. So as you can see, psychology, uh, women are very well represented, but if you look at other sciences, such as mathematics, physical science, we are below 50%. It has been very, very stable. And if we look at engineering and computer science, this is uh, uh, stagnating around 20 20%. And what I was saying about whether uh, these jobs are actually paying more, uh, this is from the US, but I'm giving you just a quick overview using French data. Uh, so what I did here is that I took um, the distribution of uh, labor income in, in, the, in the population and I just, you know, I decided to put the bottom 10%, the top 50, top 10, and the top 1%. I think you've heard a lot about the top 1% uh, in the past years. And I look at the percentage of women among these uh, quartiles of, uh, of labor income. And what I see is that, interestingly, the share of STEM jobs compared to non-STEM jobs tend to increase as we get in the, in the top of the income distribution, which is, this is suggestive evidence, of course, this is just correlation, but that gives you an idea that uh, these same jobs might be overrepresented at the top of the income distribution. Um, so the research question is quite straightforward. Can we think about an intervention of external female role model that could influence students' beliefs and students' choice of field of study? And that holding teaching uh, practice is constant. I'm going to be more specific about this. There's been a lot of studies on the impact of teachers' gender on students' uh, educational performance. The idea being that if you are a girl and if you are a, a female teacher, you might have uh, improved uh, educational performance. The problem with these studies is that even if you randomly assign the gender uh, of, a, of a teacher to a classroom, you cannot control for the fact that teachers might just have different teaching practices. So like, for example, um, a woman teacher can engage in, in, uh, with, with uh, female students more and that could explain why they succeed more. So the, the purpose of our experiment is to actually not have a role model that are teacher, but are just external from the context of the classroom. Um, the second research question is, is a bit broader, is, is actually asking, can we actually change individuals' choices by changing their beliefs? And that's, like, of course, a, a much bigger question than what we're actually going to be able to tackle in these studies, but that's the idea of, like, if we're able to shift people's stereotypes and to shift people's views, are we actually going to have an impact on their choices? Um, and in our context, it would be 
what do we need to tell a 16-year-old student to make a job more appealing for this person? What are the key characteristics of an occupation that can, that can appeal to a high school student? And what are the key stereotypes that we should target if we want to push more uh, girls towards uh, science track? Um, another question uh, that we're going to touch upon in this, in this work, but I think it opens, you know, uh, a lot of room for further research because um, because there is much more to learn about who are the relevant role models and for whom. Um, in our context, I, d I just want to give you a, a quick warning because I don't want to raise expectations too much. We are evaluating the intervention of female role models. So there is very limited variation in the profile of these role models. Um, in terms of race, in terms of sexual orientation and identity, and I think it would be very interesting to explore more of these avenues, but in our case, we're going to look at the impact of female role models. And an interesting point is like, actually, are boys affected by these female role models? Is there any adverse effect? Um, or are they affected in the same way? And uh, that's what we're going to try uh, to explore as well. Um, so. Maybe we can have a quick overview of what, what does a role model do? Like, what, what is the impact of a role model? And what can be the potential mechanism through which they can operate? So the first, first order um, impact of a role model is this idea of, like, it's kind of an economic jargon, but like expansion of the possibility set. I'm a student, and I'm being told this and this and this exists, and you can do it, so I have new aspirations. And so this is very much in line with the current interventions to provide more information to uh, high school students or, um, or undergrad students just to create more aspirations uh, and expanding the possibility set. The other, the other point is like, what do I actually need to, to get there? So it's a good thing to say, well, you should go to science, this exists, this is very appealing, but what are the procedures? How, how is it important to work on one specific discipline or another? Uh, you know, what are the steps in application? So this is a pure information provision and there's been a lot of studies suggesting that this channel was actually uh, extremely important to push more students to continue studying, for example. Um, more recently, uh, there's been a literature, especially I'm pointing to this paper by Nguyen, it's a working paper. Uh, she was a, a job market candidate at MIT, and I don't know if this paper is ever going to be published, but it's a very interesting paper uh, where she looks at the impact of role models and, and information provision on updating the belief on the returns to education. So uh, in her context, she looks at uh, students in Madagascar where um, this idea of investing in education is not so straightforward given the outside options uh, which is working. Uh, and so there is this impact of like, as a role model, I'm participating in, in pushing students to update their belief on how education can be a good investment for them. And there's a last, uh, a last channel which we call identification. Um, and this is, on that, on that channel, I think the social psychology literature has been much more uh, um, uh, insightful uh, to understand, I see this person and I, well, this career is interesting, it seems to be a very successful woman, but do I also want the life that he or she has? And can I identify myself to that, to that person as a whole, not only on the career aspect? And I think we're going to try to touch upon this a little bit, I'm pointing out also to this uh, paper by Porter and Sarah, uh, who is a working paper from last year, and they're doing that in the context of 
economics undergrads. And it's very interesting to see that um, different uh, alumni who are give interventions in, uh, in, under, in the economics context have, uh, can have like different impacts for, uh, for econ grad students who like, I think, undergrad students, sorry, who are thinking about a uh, career in the, in the econ world. Um, so that, yeah. You're not saying, I know you're not, but I'm, I'm wondering about that question. You're not saying anything about whether it's rational or not. Mm. I can be influenced by these things. So it could be that I'm seeing a role model, and all of a sudden I'm overestimating chances of making it. There are other things, right? So we're not saying, we're just saying it's moving something, but maybe it's moving things in the right direction, the wrong direction. We don't know that. Yeah, so um, it's a very good point. Uh, I think when we're going to go through uh, the results on stereotypes, I would, I would like to have your perspective on that because we are moving stereotypes in a sort of an unexpected way in some ways. So, so we interpret that as a way of rationalizing the evidence that are given to students, but that may be another mechanisms and I, I would be interested to know what you think when we get to the stereotypes part. Okay. Um, so our contribution, um, so what we're going to do is we're going to implement and evaluate a large-scale randomized experiment um, to evaluate classroom interventions in French high schools. Uh, so in that way, we're going to provide causal evidence of the positive impact of external female role models on both students' attitudes and choice of field of study. Um, this is this evidence parts of it show that actually stereotypical views can be deconstructed by external intervention uh, and even light touch intervention as you're going to see <laughs> our interventions last one hour so uh, and we have persistent effect over time um, and we're going to show that we have positive effects <coughs> of female role model both on male and female students um, we think it has important policy implications uh, first because that experience could, you know, give uh, uh, insights to design a policy-relevant tool that could be implemented in different contexts. And of, we'll see that context and the type of messages that are given in the intervention matter. But it also says something more. It says that if you have active gender equality policies today, and when you're changing the distribution of opportunities today, you're actually going to have an impact endogenously for the next generation. So. In a way, it's going for, like, it gives more support to quotas and all of these active policies because if you have a generation of young girls who are seeing more uh, women in position of powers, we are bringing evidence that it actually matters for them. So just, you know, the seeing is believing, uh, <laughs> it's true. Um, okay, so I'm going to give you a little spoiler, a preview of the results. Um, so for the impacts on stereotypes, our intervention suggests that students in the treatment group actually change their belief uh, with respect to careers in science and women in science. We're going to have two, two types uh, of interventions on, on the stereotypes where we're going to give more information on job attribu attributes in science and on uh, the role of women and not like biological or socially constructed differences between men and women's ability in science. Um, as I said, both male and female respond to the intervention, and that's the point that we were going to talk about in whether there's some rational behavior uh, behind this, um, this reaction. We see that if you increase the salience of the underrepresentation of women in science, so if I tell you women are underrepresented in science, they are a minority, it would affect 
indirectly the beliefs of students with respect to discrimination and differences in taste. Uh, we'll get to that in a minute. Um, and so for the impact in terms of choices and educational outcomes, we don't find an effect on year 10 students, so those who are uh, age 16. However, for older students, we find that the share of female and male students going to selective STEAM programs, uh, so which in French is called classe préparatoire, math, physics, and science and engineering, increases by respectively 38% and 20% with respect to the baseline mean. So the effect is actually important, given that the baseline, these, these are very selective programs, so the baseline is very low. Um, and for women, these effects are essentially driven by high achieving students. Yes. Can I just ask a question about your baseline mean for the control? Is that um, classes where they had a male role model or classes where they didn't have any role model? Uh, so you're going to see the program is that there was no, the baseline is that no role model, no intervention whatsoever. Did you compare having a female role model versus having a male role model? Uh, no. Uh, so that's, that's the limitation of this study is that, as I was saying, we are evaluating a pre-existing pre program where we didn't have any controls on the profile of the role model. So this program is to promote female women in science. So these, these role models are only going to be women. And I'm sure there's going to be, in the next months, very interesting work looking at whether a male role model can have an impact on female students. And I, but I cannot say anything about this today. OK. Um, so I'm going to present now the institutional context uh, in which uh, we implemented our study. Um, so um, it can look of a little bit complicated. It's friends, remember. <laughs> so, but we're gonna go step by step. You're gonna be fine. So, um, here in Second General, we, we're gonna call it Year Ten. Uh, students are at sixteen, and they at the end of this year they are going to choose tracks. So within high school, they can choose social science, science, so like physics, math, and biology, or humanities. This choice takes place at the end of year 10, and it's conditional on pe uh, students' performance and grades. If they have very poor grades in math, they're usually not allowed to go to science. So they can decide to repeat classes or to go to another, another track. Then they go to year 12, same thing. And at the end of year 12, they have the high school graduation national exam, which we call baccalaureate. Um, and as conditional on obtaining the baccalaureate, they can decide uh, to enter higher education. So entering higher education in France is a right if you have the baccalaureate. Most of the programs are free. Um, tuitions are very low. To give you an example, a bachelor degree, the tuitions are under 300 euros per year. Um, so yeah, it's great. <laughs> uh, and. Uh, <laughs> And there's a, there's a two, there's a, like a dual system for uh, higher education. Uh, President Macron is trying to change that. I don't know where it is going, but right now this is where we have. We have a selective part, uh, which we call, as I said, classe préparatoire uh, pour les grandes écoles. So these are classrooms that are actually located in high schools. Uh, it's short, uh, it's a small cohort, so about 35, 40 students very intense, uh, intensive programs, uh, two years, and this prepares to national examination to enter the most prestigious institutions. So in this selective part, we distinguish between the science, CPGE, uh, and the non-science one, because this is going to be um, our relevant variable of interest. 
Then you have the non-selective part, so this is mostly university. You also have uh, other types of schools like um, paramedical school, architecture school, art school. But basically you have the science at university, the medical school. So the first year of med school in France is non-selective. And it's, uh, it's a, a year of preparation of the, the big you know, national exam uh, where uh, people are ranked and there's a numerous clauses, etc. But at least for that first uh, step, first year, there's no selection. Um, and then in theory. Um, and then you have the non-science programs that we just all gather together. OK, any question on that? No? OK, keep that in mind. Yeah. Sorry, just to link back to your previous slide, just to like, um, understand the effects that you did see is going from the grade 12 to the Exactly. Yeah. So is it, is it just for the selective or non-selective, or are you looking at? We're going to look at everything. Okay. Yeah, we're going to look at everything. Yes? So are you saying that you applied the intervention during year 10? Uh, uh, yeah, exactly. Exactly. OK. Uh, so in the same institutional <coughs> context, uh, I'm just plotting the percentage of female students at each of these levels that we just saw together. OK? So year 10, there is 53 54% of women. So we know that it's, it's true in many other advanced economies that women are slightly overrepresented in, uh, in education. As we go to year 11 science, there's already a decrease, small, but 47% that maintains, of course, for year 12. And what is interesting to see is what happens after high school graduation. So here I just plotted the science uh, disciplines for um, uh, higher education. Um, but what you observe is that actually this, no, doesn't work. <laughs> so in med school, women are overrepresented. And this is true in many other countries. But this is particularly striking for the first year when they haven't made any choices in terms of like specialization, um, et cetera. Um, but if you go to science university, there's already less, less women represented. And as you go to the most selective uh, tracks, those who are actually opening uh, to uh, Ecole Polytechnique, for those who know these schools, or like the most prestigious uh, engineering school, you really decrease to get to 22% uh, of women in this, uh, in this uh, track. And what is also a bit sad is actually it hasn't changed at all. So this, these two graphs, is, they have 15 years of difference. Um, and this is just the selective program, so the CPG. And you see that the proportion of women in science have been from 27 to 30%, so a very modest increase. But overall, the structure of um, these selective programs in terms of gender balance has remained incredibly stable. So that, yeah. Can we, how does the selection work? Um, because I don't think we quite understand. So it's probably based on my grades. Yeah. But then I get You're an invitation, right. so I can turn them down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't say, oh, no, I'm going to do humanities. I don't want to do So that's a very good point. So um, basically, at, uh, <coughs> at the end, like I would say, spring of the final year of high school, um, people apply to different, uh, different options in higher education. So if they apply to these selective programs, the selection is based on their performance in year 12 and in year 11. So all their grades are taken into account, um, and obviously also the quality of their high school, even if it's not stated explicitly. Um, so they make different choices on a national uh, centralized platform, and they rank their choices. <coughs> We're going to use this data set, actually. So they, they make a first choice. This is where I want to go. And then I rank. They have up to 12 choices. And then 
they, but they can decide to choose both selective and non-selective uh, programs. And they get a first uh, feedback on whether they've been accepted on their first choice or not. If they have, they can accept it and they can drop out of the platform. If they haven't, they, they pick another one and then it goes down to their list of choices. So as a student, you can really apply to different types of programs, different types of disciplines, um, and different types of regions as well. Uh, again, this platform is being reformed at the moment, uh, but we'll, we'll get into the into the detail of this platform. In a, but in a way, it's similar to the U.S. in that a high school student can apply to 12 different universities, and only the university is a bit more sophisticated. I already include a rank order. And yeah. If I yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. So they reveal their rank. So they reveal <laughs> their rank, definitely, and. Um, <laughs> But normally, by law, if a student has applied to higher education, uh, he or she must have, uh, uh, must be admitted somewhere. So, um, yeah, there's always, like, every year there's a lot of, you know, cases that go to court because these students have been, like, rejected from the platform. But by law, they're supposed to end up somewhere if they want to. Otherwise, they can go work. Okay. So a much smaller percentage than in the US. I think that's another difference, right? High school is not, is high school for everyone or is that just for the top? Um, so it's not, like not everyone is in high school, but uh, like I would say 80% of a cohort is, is in high school, like general high school, because you also have vocational education in France, but it's much lower than, for example, in Germany or in the UK. So 80% of yeah. people are guaranteed the university? Well, if they graduate yeah, from, they yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I know, definitely, it's like, yeah, it's a lot. Um, okay, so our treatment is gonna take place here. So at the end, or like fall, spring of year 10, and fall, spring of year 12, uh, in, in both, in both these, these uh, red boxes. And the idea will be to look at these outcomes. Of course, we're going to look at all the others, but we are going to focus on the choice for science in high school and, and after high school. Okay. Any question on that? Okay. So um, the the program, uh, the experimental program, took place in the Paris region. Uh, we we were financed by a foundation of a large firm in France, and we were supported by the Ministry of Education, and we had 97 uh, high schools of volunteers to be part of the program. So they are distributed um, across these three educational <coughs> districts, uh, Versailles, Paris, and Créteil. Créteil is the biggest educational district in France. Um, I, like, I like to see these dots because, you know, we made so many phone calls to get all these principals on board and like it looks like it, they appeared magically, but <laughs> it, it required a lot of work. So, um, and so they're, as you can see, they're spread out. There's a lot in Paris, but they're spread out in uh, various places in the, in, the, in the region of Paris. Yes? Is there a reason I'll take was so today? Excuse me? Is there a reason, like, you see way fewer dots? In Créteil? So here you have a lot of fields in agriculture, um, but so that's not the only reason. But yeah, like I think there's def definitely a selection of high schools in our uh, experimental sample. You're gonna see that it's not a threat to our identification strategy, but.
But it's true that to have these principals on board, you need to have them committed to implement some programs in their high school. Uh, you need them to be kind of open to gender issues. Uh, you're gonna see that we have a much lower share of private high schools in our sample compared to the, um, the whole private in France mean Catholic, so that, that gives you an idea. Um, and so, so yeah, so definitely there's gonna be more concentration in Paris, but still, if you see like these dots in, uh, in Créteil, and these are very big high schools. So in, in our sample, <coughs> and uh, maybe I'm gonna get there now, yeah. Uh, we try to compare our sample to the uh, population of students in these three educational districts. Uh, for students in year 10 and students in year 12 with science major. Um, so as I was telling you, the share of private high schools is much lower in our sample compared to the others. But in terms of socioeconomic composition, we are actually pretty close to a pretty representative of these educational uh, districts. So uh, in terms of socioeconomic background, uh, performance uh, at DNB. DNB is Diplôme National du Brevet. It's this national exam that, is, that takes place at the end of middle school uh, all over France. So we look at the percentile rank of students in math and in French. And it's very comparable, you know, for, for these, uh, um, these two samples. Uh, I think for female, we have, yeah, very close numbers for uh, students in year 10, a bit more uh, women in our sample compared to uh, the educational districts for, for your, your 12 students. Yes? Um, so that, that's, a, that's a good question. I know there's a program right now, it's a, it's a non-profit organization in France who are doing that with students who are 10 years old. So it's definitely not gonna be the same mechanisms. I think the role model is less likely to happen for these, for these students. I mean, who knows, maybe. Um, but but this, is not, this is not our program. We are focusing on high school. Yeah. You mean Um, I mean, we should, yeah, I should think about it because if you are, if you are 16, 17 and you're going to see some role models are actually quite young, um, you're <coughs> probably more likely to identify to them than if you are 10 or 9. But there are some programs that are taking place. I don't know exactly what they are targeting, if they are talking about jobs or if they are talking about science in general and how it's cool to do experiments and things like that. Um, but that would be definitely interesting to, what, what we were surprised, to be honest, with our results is actually the older students are reacting. So it doesn't necessarily, you know, suggest that it's not necessarily because you intervene very early on, you know, that things are going to be. Yeah, I just bring it up because uh, if you have an opportunity to, to expand your study in the future, I think it would be interesting because um, a lot of studies show that earlier interventions are more of long-term effectiveness. Sure. So I'm wondering if Yeah, definitely. I agree with you. Definitely, I agree with you. Um, the, I think the cool thing about these choosing this age is that we are targeting two very specific decisive choices for students. So your curriculum is not going to be the same if you choose science track versus humanity track. It's kind of irreversible, and and it's definitely you're definitely not going to have the same prospect if you go to a science scientific science programs, or if you don't. So. Maybe you're going to change, you know, taste for science in general, and that could have long-term impact for sure. But these two things are like almost in institutionally very important. Um, okay. 
So now the program. Um, so the program is a one-hour in-class intervention uh, under the supervision of either a teacher or the principal sometimes. Um, and all the interventions took place between, as I was saying, November and March. We did that sufficiently early on so that we could see some impact in terms of choices before uh, the end of the academic year. So we have 56 that we call ambassadors. Um, so there are two types of ambassadors. I'm going to try to investigate a little bit the differences between. Uh, we're, we're doing our best. We don't have a lot of variation in terms of uh, socioeconomic characteristics and, and, gen and gender, but these are the, the, the variations. So 35 of them are privately employed by the firm that is supporting the project, and they are collaboratrices, and they volunteer uh, into the program. We're going to call them professionals. After. And 21 uh, of them are PhD students or postdocs uh, who received a grant from, uh, from this foundation and participated to the program at, as part of their contract. So they are, we're going to call them researchers. And um, in these groups, you have about 25% of ambassadors who have a uh, background in like what we call hard science, like math, physics, and computer science. The others are more chemistry, biology, cognitive science. Um, yeah. So they look like that. So that's <laughs> these are the PhD and postdocs. So they are very glamorous because it's the day where they receive their grant and you know they were <laughs> invited. I don't think they went to the high school dressed like that, but um, but you know they're like they look cool. You know, like it's, uh, we have uh, interesting role models in France that are not Catherine Deneuve. You know, so um, so. So that's, uh, that's just for the uh, researchers. I don't have a picture of the professionals, unfortunately. Um, so the structure of the intervention was uh, constructed as follows. We had an introduction with a set of slides that was designed by us and uh, by, the, by the foundation, but mostly by us. Um, and the ambassadors were free to customize them. We couldn't really impose them to use all of them or to, uh, they could decide to use most of them or not. We monitored what they used at the end of the survey, uh, at, the, at the end of the intervention. We did a post-intervention survey where we asked them, did you talk about this, did you talk about that? And so we have an idea of the type of topics they tackle. So in these slides, we bring examples of career prospects for humanities versus science after graduation of high school. So we put, provided different wage rates, different unemployment rates, just to say, you know, job prospects in science are good. Um, we also pointed differences between like hard and soft science. So um, like typically computer science jobs are very, uh, pay very well, etc. cetera. Um, but we also gave a sort of overview of the diversity of jobs that exist in science. And we also provided information on the underrepresentation of female students in scientific track and of women in, in uh, STEAM jobs in general. Um, yeah, and then there's two videos and an in-class discussion. So where it was m very informal, the ambassador was sharing her experience, uh, her difficulties, and you know, uh, what, what from a very personal uh, point of view, um, how it was for her to be a scientist. So the first video, um, which is called, I don't know if it's the right translation, all equals in science. So it's like, it's trying to show that uh, men and women have the same potential when it comes to science. And so it builds on uh, evidence from 
cognitive science uh, that you know the brains of men and women are not naturally different at birth, but it's the plasticity of the brain and the interaction with people that you know shape different roles. I mean, you all know that, I'm sure. Uh, but like we show le poids des stéréotypes, so the you know the bird, like the threat of stereotypes that are affecting <laughs> female students, and that that explain why they might shy away from uh, from these. Uh, um, this track, even if they actually, on average, have a higher success in this uh, in this field, and then we gave some figures about the underrepresentation of women in in some jobs, right? So you have engineer, researcher, mathematician. Uh, so that's that's the first video, and the second one is more. It's built up, uh, on interviews with we conducted with uh, real students, so uh, where they we were asking them about their perception, and so it's. It's kind of, it's like a, it's a funny video because they see students who are having very stereotypical views and also uh, we are trying to deconstruct them and actually there's a, like a sort of positive message at the end. But so we show that there's over 200 occupations that fit into the science realm. So from urban planner to um, geologists, but also astrophysicists, like showing the diversity of jobs in science. Um, we insist on the fact that all science studies are not necessarily long, that you can have a degree in, in, uh, in two years, for example, and um, that a lot of uh, scientists think that they really like the atmosphere and the workplace culture where they are, and they, like, it's, n it's not a problem for them to conciliate family and, and professional life. It's a very rosy <coughs> picture of, <laughs> of the world, but um, <coughs> so so that that was the second uh, the second video, and then of course the discussion was was built on on these messages. Okay, so now how do we measure the impact of these interventions? So with within each high school that I showed you before, the 97 high schools, we ask the principal to give us two pairs of classes for year 10 and one pair uh, of classes in year 12. So we're gonna do a pairwise randomization, which is within each of these two pairs, we're gonna take one treated and one control, okay? So the idea, why do we do that? We just do that because if we randomize high school, we would have to have a very balanced and large sample of high schools, you know, in order to have uh, sufficient statistical power. And imagine if the intervention was not uh, didn't work out in one high school, like, I don't know, the ambassador didn't show up or something like that, we would have to take out the high school from the sample and that would ruin the randomization. So we prefer to do that randomization within high school so that if anything goes wrong, we can take out this high school from the sample and we keep, we respect the randomization so we are sure that we are, um, uh, we have the right estimate. So at the end of the day, we have 17, over 17,000 students in our experimental sample. Um, so obviously most of them are gonna be in year 10, uh, over 10,000, and you're gonna have around 300 classes that are gonna receive a treatment and, and 300 who are gonna be serving as control group. Okay, any question on the randomization? All right. Um, so what we do is we check whether our treated and our control group uh, uh, similar, so if the characteristics of students are balanced between these two groups, uh, and so we can reject the 
um, uh, the different means for most of these dimensions, uh, except like I think for girls, we have slightly more girls in the control group, yeah. Um, but we, what we're gonna do is in some specification, we're gonna add a control at the school level, uh, at the pair level, sorry. So this is gonna partially account for these differences in, in composition. But the test of joint significance uh, tells us that these, all these dimensions are not jointly different across uh, treated and control group. Okay, so the specification is really straightforward. When you do a randomization, you can just like compare the means of treated and control groups. We go one step further because we do that using a regression, a linear probability model, where we include a high school fixed effect to account for the diversity of the composition of our sample. Um, and we cluster standard error at the high school level. We also, in other specification, we cluster them at the pair level, but it, we find very consistent results. Uh, and the outcome of interest, we're gonna look at the intensity of stereotypical views uh, for STEM jobs and for women in science, high school track choice, grades, and admission outcomes for students applying in higher education. Okay, now the data. Okay. So first, the data we're gonna use is administrative data at the individual level. So this comes from uh, the Ministry for Education. We're gonna have the performance, the past performance of students at this exam that I mentioned before, so the Diplôme National du Brevet at the end of middle school. Uh, we're gonna have the percentile rank in math and in French as a kind of proxy for abilities. It's not perfect, but it's nationally graded, it's anonymous, and so it gives us some kind of information about the student's performance in math, for example. We have information on socioeconomic background and some on the elective courses taken in year 10. And for year 12 students, this is the platform that I was mentioning before. So admission post-bac, it's like a centralized college admission platform, uh, which assigns students based on an algorithm of deferred acceptance. Um, so that gives us the comprehensive list of, of uh, choices for all the high edu higher education programs, the admission outcomes, and also the performance in your 11 and your 12 because some of these uh, um, institution higher education condition their acceptance based on the performance. Yes? Is admission independent of rank, of the way the students ranked their Um So the, the first rank has to be accepted. Like the, the, the choice rank first has to be in theory accepted. What she's oh, asking, sorry. Or do you want to clarify? No, no, you're good. Is that um, do the people selecting the students at the schools get to see how the students um, rank them? No. Okay. Okay, that's independent. No. Okay, great. Yeah, yeah, that's very important. <coughs> yeah. Otherwise, it would be some strategic. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's what I was wondering. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for clarifying this. Um, so, in order to measure the prevalence of stereotypes, we have conducted a post treatment survey. Um, on for both treated and controlled students. So we conducted this survey one to four months after the intervention, and we randomized the moment, the date where the questionnaire was administered, because of course, if you ask five minutes after the intervention, oh, do you think that women are capable to do math, that people are gonna be, oh yeah, yeah. But <laughs> like six months after, who knows? So we try, to, we try to account for that. And each questionnaire was individualized and anonymized, um, so that each student could feel free to answer what they wanted to answer 
we, we really said like no one is going to look at your and so the professor did not have access to the names on the on the paperwork it was a, a number like an anonymous number um, and it was administered in con in exam conditions so they were they couldn't you know leave the room and talk to each other they were really sitting at the table and they had to fill out the questionnaire under the supervision of a teacher um, so in this questionnaire we ask general information about student taste and interest. We ask questions about extracurricular activities, whether they play video games, whether they like sports, competitive sports, a whole set of questions just to make, get an overview of their personality trait. Um, and we also ask them to um, self-assess their performance in, in math and in other disciplines, like do you think, do you think you're good uh, or like not so good, etc. in math, and compare to other uh, female students in your classroom compared to other male students in your classroom uh, so to have an idea of how much they uh, under-evaluate their own uh, performance and we also ask them uh, questions on their attitudes towards science so basically there's this different set of questions that I gathered like that so whether they would appreciate they like science in general like as in as a discipline whether they would consider a job in science uh, whether they find some scientific job interesting, and whether they would imagine themselves working in like different occupations that we rank. So, for example, uh, I think there was like um, industrial designer, environmental engineer, uh, but also psychologist and lawyer, like to have different types of, of jobs. Um, and we also asked them questions about women in science. I'm going to get there. In and so the last source of data is the survey that we conducted for ambassadors themselves. So after they, uh, they gave their, they, they all gave three interventions. So after each intervention, we send them the post-intervention uh, survey. The idea was to first monitor compliance with randomization. So to make sure that they actually gave the right class the, the intervention. Uh, so we were lucky they did. Um, and, and general feedback, so to have an idea of whether the intervention took place in the presence of a teacher or another adult, um, whether there were some organizational problems that could explain potentially why the treatment was not effective, for example. Um, and, uh, but overall, they had a pretty good, uh, I mean, they reported a pretty good uh, judgment on the way, uh, the conditions of the intervention. Uh, over 90% of them considered that it was good. Okay, so now, the results. So these big tables we're going to go through step by step. Um, so this is the effect of the classroom intervention on perceptions and stereotypes for year 10 students. So for each of these items, these are questions I'm going to ask students, do you agree with that statement? And we're going to split the results for girls and boys. So the first column, the C, gives you the baseline mean for the control group. So that gives you the prevalence of these stereotypes for the what we infer the general population. So for example, you see that around 66% of students in year 10 say that they like science, right? T minus C is the difference between treated and control. And when you have uh, stars, that tells you that this difference is statistically significant. So this is the causal impact of the intervention. Then you have the standard errors and then the, the number of observations. So what you can observe from this table is that we have some movement on certain types of beliefs and stereotypes associated to science, and especially associated to job attributes in science. So girls in uh, um, year 10 
from the treated group are, more are less likely to think that studies in science are long or that jobs in science are dreary or it's hard to maintain a work-life balance and that jobs in science are solitary. So in that sense, the intervention trying to show the positive aspect of jobs in science has been efficient for, uh, for this group of students. We, we observe similar but smaller effects on both on, that on this dimension. And then we go to the opinions on women and men in science. So this is when it starts to be a bit tricky. Uh, yeah. Can you take a sure. clarifying question? It, was this a binary agree, don't agree, or was this like a five-point scale? It was so a five-point scale. Above, okay, so we, we agree we, or strongly agree exactly. falls into agree. Exactly. Okay. Thank you for saying. Yeah, exactly. Um, so when we ask students, do you think that there's more men in science-related jobs, given that we have provided them evidence that, you know, there was a a lack of women in science, well, they, they totally agree with that. They increase their, their answer a lot. And we also told them, you know, uh, there's no such thing as biological differences that would, you know, push one gender over another to, to succeed. So they are less likely to think that men are more gifted in math or that the brains of men and women are different. Interestingly, we see that they are more likely to think that women like science less than men. Even if we show them, you know, professionals loving science, talking about their research, they're like, mm -hmm, no. <laughs> and and we, also th we also see that they think that the progress for women in science is slow. So this, this statement is, is vague on purpose. We didn't say, do you think that women are discriminated or do you think, yeah. But they're more likely to think, yeah, they actually struggle to get to the top for some reason. So we were, you know, we found this result quite interesting, and that's kind of the way. Uh, like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna show you just the diagram before we go to the year 12 results. That's kind of the way we thought about it. But I would be happy to have your opinion on that. With this intervention, we we move the salience of certain ideas or certain beliefs related to men and women in science, right? So we tell them, that, well, there's more men in science-related jobs, but this is not true. Like, no biological differences. So what do they think? Well. If I want to make sense of that, I have to think that either women just don't like it and don't go, or if they go, they are, you know, they're struggling to get to these jobs. And that, that's kind of how, th that, that's, that's the point, you know, you were asking, that's kind of how we interpreted these answers. Like, if I have to make sense of these statistics and I'm being told that biological differences do not matter, then there must be something else going on. Um, yeah. So uh, the result we find for year 12 students are quite similar. So of course, this sample is a bit different from the year 10 because these people have chosen uh, science as a track. So 90% of them, on average, declare that they like science because they're, they're here for a reason. Um, so, but we do observe some movement in terms of job attributes for these, um, uh, for these students, and mostly for girls. Uh, so that we find interesting, for example, um, better wages, there's better wages in science. Uh, women tend to agree with that uh, as a response to the treatment by increasing by six percentage point uh, their, uh, their probability to, to agree with that. Um, we also see the same movement that I was describing before related to the opinions um, on women and men in science. So. The, this idea of the underrepresentation of women in scientific job increases for both uh, girls and boys, and the, and we still observe this decrease. So it's interesting because, you know, the baseline mean for men are more gifted in math is around 
16% for girls, and for boys it's 27%. <laughs> so they are really sure that you know they are better than women in math in uh, in year 12. Um, and there's and there is a response for for women on that margin, not so much for for men. But for the the the, differ the biological differences between brains, uh, we have a movement on both on both groups. So we found it interesting that you know. Even if this intervention was not targeting specifically women in the classroom, that you know it, we're talking about gender, which can be um, an issue that is more salient for female students, we still have some response even for older students on on these uh, beliefs and on these stereotypical uh, views. Okay, just a very quick question because I'm curious um, because I didn't pay attention to baselines before, and I'm super happy to see that of these self-selected girls, only seven percent think that women like science less. Mm -hmm. Um, what was that intent rate? Oh, it's not that much higher. Mm -hmm. 15%. Mm -hmm. It's a little higher, but that's, uh, right, they're not self-selected yet. No, no, no. So I think that's just remarkable. I think the baseline is not so bad. Yeah, 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 yeah. But then progress for women working in science. But the brains, you know, is, yeah. brains 20%, Ooh. we were like, oof, that's, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. that's the same for boys, but, yeah. Um, yeah. No, I think, yeah, this, this baseline analysis is also very interesting to, to have an idea of the prevalence of, of these stereotypes for this population. Uh, okay, we talked about this. So now, choices. We've looked at stereotypes. How does it translate into, into choices? So we didn't find an impact on track choices for your 10 students, as I was telling you. Um, basically, the point estimates are very small and are not significant. So it seems th this, this um, um, as you can see, the baseline is already quite high for science for boys. It's like 40, 45%, 43% who goes through science track. We are, we are definitely lower for girls, but there's no movement on that margin. And I think this is kind of, for us, it was kind of the puzzle. Like, we're like, oh, we're thinking that if you intervene at a very early age, this is when things are going to move. Well, these choices are like already very much predetermined by past ac academic uh, performance and by uh, you know social factors that is probably very hard to make these people move. So we have to think of who are these people who are at the margin uh, between deciding to enroll or not, and with such an intervention, like a short, light touch intervention, can make them move. So no effect for uh, tractors after year 10. But if you look at uh, after year 12, so after high school graduation, um, we decompose the selective and non-selective track, and here we see striking movements for uh, the science selective track. So uh, these uh, class preparatoire, math, physics, uh, and engineer. Um, and the magnitude of the effect is really large. So it's an increase of uh, a, around three percentage point, but if you look at the baseline means, so like seven percent of, of these girls are going to these uh, selective track usually, uh, the increase is around 30 percent with respect to the baseline. And it's, it's like around, if I remember the calculation, it's like lower but still, still quite important for boys as well, right? Um, but we don't see any movement on the non-selective track, so uh, the decision to enroll in uh, uh, other college major uh, in med school or not to enroll at all, um, there, there's, no, there's no exit or there's no like, uh, significant differences for these, uh, these choices. So, okay, so now we want to know what happened for these students, right? How did they, how did they change their views? So first what we're gonna do is to look at heterogeneity analysis. Um, 
by educational performance. So for, I'm, I'm going back to year 10, I'm just, you know, these graphs show in blue, it's the um, baseline mean in the control group, okay? And the dot, the red dot, and the confidence interval tells you what is the average treatment effect, so the impact of, of the treatment, on the probability to be admitted in science track after year 10. Um, so the first bar is all, all boys, and then we rank them in math using their previous uh, score at the di uh, Diplôme National du Brevet, so uh, two years before, one year before, and we see whether this effect is different based on, on whether they were in the lower part of the distribution or, or if they were in the top grades. So if anything, we observe that actually the best boys tend to react to uh, the intervention by increasing their probability of going and being accepted in science track. Nothing happens for girls at any level of the distribution. Um, but if we look at the same thing for year 12 students, so the older ones, we see that most of the movements for girls is driven by this Q4, so the, the most the high performing girls in math, right? Um, and, and this is striking because the movement is not the same for boys. These are boys at the middle of the, of the grade distribution who are changing. But if you look at the baseline mean, I mean, the differences are striking for the Q4. If you look at Q1, Q2, Q3, actually, the gender gap is quite small at this level of performance. It's at Q4 that you have the largest differences in baseline between boys and girls. So we are not you know, closing the gender gap, but we are really, really advancing for these types of students who are the high achieving students. Um, so this, the, we use in that, in that graph, we use the score at uh, Diplôme National du Brevet because it was past years before um, the, um, the treatment. So we are sure that it has not been affected by the intervention. We find similar results if we use the distribution of grades for baccalaureate, which is the high school graduation exam. Um, yeah. Um, it's not something that you, you can't go into mechanisms here, but your data reminds me very much of a paper by Katie Bolita Kaufman, who I think is not here today, yeah. where she finds um, that a sponsor works best for the top girl. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then for the mediocre boys. And oh, interesting. Like theory can be, but these are different confidence levels. Mm -hmm. right? That the mediocre boys are as confident as the top girls. <laughs> and so it helps them, gives them the right moves. But for the girls, you need to be Interesting. Interesting. I, I can show you some um, some results by level of confidence. We are a bit worried because ca confidence can have moved by itself, but we don't find evidence of that. So I will show you these results. Maybe it would complement the the discussion on that. Um, so I'm not going to go through the Robinson's checks, but we did a series of them. We tried to investigate whether the effects were persistent over time. So looking at the uh, interval between uh, intervention and, and questionnaire. We also try to have a sort of crude measure of high school spillovers. So, for example, if I'm from the control group and I've discussed with my friend who was from the treated group in my school, and he, he or she has told me, yeah, you know, science is really cool. I had this intervention the other day, and, you know, they say that we should all do this. Maybe I'm going to be indirectly affected by the treatment. This is going to be a lower bound for our effect. It's not going to threaten. If anything, we're going to have a smaller effect but it's important to look at it. We also try to see whether high schools have had other interventions during the year, because you know these programs are quite uh, um, prevalent in year 12, for example. So we try to have a measure of that using the questionnaire, asking students, have you ever heard about 
another programs, da da da. Um, and soon we will use the whole population of high school students as a super control group to, to make sure that our results are robust. Um, yeah. But so, let me summarize quickly the findings and the adaptation mechanisms. So we saw that students change their beliefs and uh, that the prevalence of stereotypes are, is reduced with respect to job attributes in science and women in science as a response to the treatment, both for male and female students. There's no impact for track choice and there's a positive impact for um, selective science program at the end of high school. Um, we discuss that. Now, what can be the potential mechanism? So the first thing we can think about is like, well, you have given the opportunity for students you know, to think about these jobs and now they want to increase effort. They want to work more in math, they want to be better so they can potentially uh, access to these uh, college major that they couldn't access before because they didn't have the right grades. So increasing effort, potential effect on grades. We're gonna investigate that. The second thing is like, well, these people just have, have a boosting self-confidence or boosting sense of fit. Like I, I can relate to these uh, um, women, so, so actually I think I could fit in that college major and I'm gonna choose that. And the third one, I mean, it's kind of related to sense of fit, but it's how much do I relate to this role model? Is this role model relevant to me or not? And do I like her life? for example, or not. And therefore, we're gonna try to do our best to look at variation by the type of ambassadors. Okay. Um, yeah. Would you include some male ambassadors then? We still have no male ambassadors in that setting. Like, there's no male ambassadors whatsoever, unfortunately. Did you look at whether their science teacher was a male or female? That's a very good question. We have information on that. Um, so we want to we want to investigate uh, heterogeneity along that dimension. But yeah, we have that. We haven't explored that yet. But yeah, thanks. Um, so we looked at the impact of the treatment on the grades obtained at baccalaureate. So this this graph is a bit scary, but it's gonna be we're gonna go like that. So you have all population of boys, and we look at the average percentile rank at back, so at the end of high school. And here we decompose based on their rank in the previous exams they had three years ago. So at uh, Diplôme National du Brevet. Um, and so on average, we don't see a significant response of uh, boys and girls uh, in terms of grades that they obtain in the baccalaureate. Um, there is a little bit of things going on here, but nothing is really significant. So we cannot really explain our effect by an increase in effort and that just these uh, students have started to work more and have better grades. Again, this is like final exams, so this is not the only thing that matters to be accepted in these programs, but it gives us an overview of maybe this increase in effort channel is not, is not necessarily the, the right one. Um, we wanted to see whether these high achieving students had reacted more or less to the stereotypes. Uh, intervention. So whether um, the effects that we observe on stereotypes were driven by these students or not. Actually, it's not so clear. So um, if anything, for girls, um, the preferences for job, are, again, here we are restricting the sample size a lot because we are cutting our sample by um, those who are below the median in terms of score in math and those who are above the median. Um, but the point estimate for girls who are above the median seems slightly larger for a lot of the job attributes that uh, are um, in science. Um, 
and and the the question of the in the representation of women is is still the same along these dimensions. So it's not so clear that high achieving women are those who have completely changed their mind and low achieving women have not. Um, it might be true on certain dimensions, but not necessarily on all of them. So we cannot rule out the fact these interventions are still relevant to change stereotypes of low achieving students. Might not be enough to change their choices, but it does move their stereotypes as well. Um, and so, for the effect on self-confidence, we don't see any effect on the self-confidence as an outcome. So uh, we measure that by the level in math and in philosophy, the level compared to girls and boys, if you think you are better or not to, be to girls and boys, and also some other um, crude measure, but we're like asking people, do you, do you feel lost in front of a math problem? Are you worried when you think about math? And do you think you can succeed if you try hard enough? There's really nothing going on on that margin. Um, so, I'm trying to see if I have the, uh, I wanted to show you the, the impact by level of self-confidence. Maybe I can find it. No. No, I don't have it. Do I? Yeah, here we go. So, here you have um, the probability of being enrolled in the science selective programs for all population. And for boys who declare that they are not worried when they think about math, or when they are worried when they think about math. And interestingly, these are the boys who are moving. So if we assume that these categories are fixed against, you know, it, it can be endogenous to the treatment, so I would be very cautious with in the interpretation. But if anything, it's like the girls who say that uh, they, they are not lost in front of a math problem, they go. But the guys who say they are lost, they go. So, it's like very different types of students. I would say that the um, those who have a low level, the boys who have a low level of self-confidence are reacting, and the girls who have a high level of self-confidence are reacting. That's what I take from this picture. But again, we have to, yeah. yeah. That is confirming. Yeah, yeah. But that. So I think I think that 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 goes in the direction of what you were mentioning. I would still be cautious in interpreting these categories because they might have been moving with the treatment. Okay. Um, so we were here. So no effect on self-confidence. And now the effect by the type of ambassadors. Um, so we observe that in our case, in terms of choices, the professionals had a higher effect on, uh, on the decision to choose and to be admitted in, uh, in a science scientific track compared to the researchers, both for boys and for girls. So this is suggestive evidence because we couldn't randomize the ambassadors based on their types. So we didn't choose which one go where. It was too, too complicated. They, it was on a, it was, the system was organized on a first come, first serve uh, procedure. So they enrolled as like, I want to go to this uh, high school. I want to go to this. So it's quasi-random, but it's not completely random. So, but that gives you a sort of idea of like, actually, these were models of professional who are older on average, but they work in the private sector, they have uh, not necessarily only fundamental research jobs, but more industry-based jobs. They might have been more relevant for a lot of students in year 12 than the researchers <laughs> in postdoc who is struggling with money, you know? <laughs> so, um, but, um, so I think it's, it's an interesting you know, message to, to think about how do we tailor the best role model for the 
the type of students who are trying to move. And, the, and these students who are at the margin between deciding to enroll or not in these sel selective programs, it might be more appealing for them to see professionals uh, you know, in, a, in, a big, in a big firm. Um, so um, we wanted to check whether actually these effects, the differential effects in terms of choices were also uh, present in stereotypes. So do we have different effects based on the types of, of ambassadors? And if anything, actually, the professionals are moving more uh, the, the, the beliefs of, uh, of students when it comes to their opinions in science and job attributes. Um, and if you look at the opinions on women in science, so the underrepresentation of um, of women in science, researchers have really had an impact on that. Like, they are really the outliers, apparently, for, for, for these students. Um, and, but they had an impact on uh, the, the, difference, the biological differences uh, between men and women. So it seems that these professionals actually had a larger impact in terms of job attributes, uh, in terms of conveying this idea that these jobs were appealing. And that could potentially explain why they have a stronger effect in terms of choices uh, after high school. Um, so I'm going to conclude. Um, so we provide causal evidence that the impact of uh, uh, that external female role model can have an influence on students' attitudes and college major choices. Uh, the effect is actually important in magnitude because, as I was saying, it's an increase of 28% uh, in the probability of um, being admitted in science-selective programs for women. So a one-hour intervention can actually have an impact on students' uh, beliefs. And these effects are persistent over time. Um, one of the takeaways of, the, of the, this intervention is also that if you increase science in disparities on the labor market, you might have indirect effect on the perception of discrimination and differences in taste. Like the way people rationalize these differences that you put forward is by thinking, well, maybe women don't like science or women are discriminated. So this might be important to think about if you're trying to design intervention to push more underrepresented categories in certain occupations that there might be some indirect effect um, in, the, in the cognitive process um, uh, on this belief uh, intervention. And, and the final uh, takeaway is that while well, role models might not necessarily be relevant for all students, at least these role models that, that we um, that we send to give interventions, because we, as, we, as we've seen, the um, the effect for women is driven by high achieving students, and the profile of role models seems to matter a lot uh, for identification and information provision. Thank you very much. Yeah. To appear like professionals. I mean, <laughs> 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 
researchers are as much professionals as somebody who is working in the industry. Because I come from their labs, and I can tell you, we had researchers, and they said, we are professionals. They didn't say, I work in their lab research. Mm -hmm. And there were other people who said, I work with customers and clients, and they look like your professionals. But it absolutely, my intuition, I was not part of these studies, mm -hmm. was that it's how you talk, how you train the ambassadors to talk. Yeah, so I, I totally agree with that. Um, so they had a, two full days of training, all of them, uh, with a, like a communication trainer, I don't know. Um, and uh, so, you know, but obviously some of them are probably shy, some of them are not used to talk about themselves, they're more used to talk about facts. Well, I totally agree with that. The other um, mechanisms that we thought about is that they are not attainable. They are so successful researchers. You know, they are very, like, these, these fellowships they got is really prestigious. They are in the best research institution in France. And for a high school students, like, I see this brain in front of me. I don't relate to that at all, for example. That, that's, that could be another, another explanation is that, you know, showing an astrophysicist who does fundamental research and has, you know, stars in the eyes, it might not be necessarily easy for a high school student to but I think it's definitely true that we should investigate whether appearance and you know uh, communication skills matter in terms of identification for for students. Um, yes. So I'm curious if you could say something about the noise and the data because I'm thinking there wasn't one standardized treatment, right? So if the noise, would, you, I would suspect you have higher noise than you would in a standardized treatment. Um, I, what do you mean by noise? I mean like if because these are people were giving different presentations, mm -hmm. right? And so you, you could have more noisy outcome measures in terms of how people change their behavior, right? And I'm thinking that could downward bias your um, estimates, no? So I actually the effect might be higher. Yeah, I think in general, all the interventions that require some uh, subjective, per like, interventions, you know, it's very person-specific, right? So it would always be the case that you don't have a con total control on what is being said or how it's being said. Some studies have uh, thought about using videos, so it's, there's much more control on that. The problem is that you don't necessarily have a discussion and you don't have the same interaction, so it's, a, it's another treatment. I agree with, it's a very composite treatment that we are, uh, that we are studying. Um, but um, I don't think, as long as the randomization is respected, I don't think it's, it threatens our estimates. But it can be a downward bias. No, no, no maybe. I don't think it threatens. Mm -hmm. I think in, in the opposite, yeah. the effect might actually be larger. Mm -hmm. So, like, maybe if you compare your noise with other studies that have done more standardized this, Yeah, I'm not aware of uh, studies that have such a large sample size, though. But, yeah, I agree with you that this could be improved. Um, I was really impressed overall, and it was really heartening to see you get such strong, positive results. Um, if you want to be able to make the case that it is not just the information presented, but actually having an, an ambassador, and that the ambassador being female is what really matters, um, I'm just wondering if you would consider a future run where your control group would get the same information mm -hmm. and videos. So you didn't just have a woman, sure. but you also had all this information coming in these videos, sure, sure, sure. right? Mm -hmm. So maybe your control group could get access to similar information um, presented by a male. Yeah. 
Um, so you could really show that it's the woman yeah. being the role model that's making the difference and not just the videos. Yeah, I totally agree with you. And I think the research is going in that direction at the moment. Um, the thing is, like, if you want to vary treatments as much as I want uh, a white male, non-white male, you know, like, you have a lot of different treatments, you need a lot of power. Um, I'm not aware of studies that can run that as, as a, such a large scale. It's it's very like logistically demanding, um, but I think this is the way that research should go now. Definitely trying to disentangle between uh, the effect of purely female uh, role model versus role model in general. Yeah, I agree. So um, going back to your stereotype inoculation, stereotype threat kind of story, I was reminded, um, look, listening to your story, that you know the stereotype threat effects only work with populations that are identified with the field of performance. So like if you have, if you have like the, the stereotype threat effects with um, uh, African American and verbal skills or women and math, like they don't get they don't get any effects if the students are not identified with the being a strong academic being being a high performer verbally or being a high performer mathematically. So I think that actually really fits with your Story that that the that the stereotype inoculation is going to be maximally effective when you've got people who are actually really identified with the domain. And related to that, I was wondering if I was wondering if your Q4 cut with the tenth graders was just too gross. You know, I mean, it's too big of a cut. Mm -hmm. Like, did you look at the 95th percentile mm -hmm. or the 90th yeah. percentile and to see whether or not it made any difference yeah, for yeah. that higher? Yeah, I don't have it th there, but we we have done that, and so we find like it's definitely non-linear. So it's really, you know, as as okay, you get yeah. as you get to the top, you really have more people who are like uh, uh, willing to enroll. The problem is like as you stays down the the sample, the standard right, errors get yeah. really big. But I agree with you. Maybe it would be more relevant to show that it's very much concentrated at the top of the uh, a grade distribution. If you think that. Four quartiles are not like precise enough. We can definitely well, well given the small percentage mm. who are going into the yeah. see, the small percentage of women are going to the science track. I just and and you're finding your strongest effects with the most identified women. Mm -hmm. It just seems like you've got a lot of people who aren't obvious. I think it's still very exciting if you're mm -hmm. helping the women who are, as you say, like on the edge. You mm -hmm. know, who might who have the capacity and the drive, but might make this like profound life decision in a different direction. I mean, I think yeah. it's. Uh, Yeah, I don't have the figures on top of my head, but I would definitely look at that. I think it's interesting to, yeah. Thank you for that. I think we're there. Thank you so much. Thank you.